Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. All right. Happy Sunday, Venture. Great to see you guys. Great to see you on this Sunday morning. Yeah, great to be back. Had a great time with you last week. If you missed it, we had a blast. We were talking about pain and suffering, so, (laughs) which is actually our topic again today, but we're going to try to have a good time along the way. I think you'll learn some new things. Uh, By the way, if you were here last week and enjoyed it, uh, these two messages are based on a book God allowed me to write called I Am Strong. It's about finding God in your pain and suffering. And the reason I show this is that uh, for you guys have uh, made access to the audiobook completely free. So if you know someone who's hurting or if you're hurting, just take a picture of this little URL here. I don't, I'm not gonna ask for your email. I don't need anything from you, don't want anything from you. It is 100% a gift. Uh, it's about 20 chapters of audio that you can listen to. If you know someone who's going through cancer treatment or a divorce or the loss of a loved one, uh, the heart is 100% uh, for you to be able to listen or someone you care about be able to listen and just hear some truths and promises of God that will encourage you in your difficulty. So our topic today is how to smile through the tears of life, how to smile in the pain of life. And I do want to start off by just saying this today that I want to make sure you understand today that God loves you, that you have a creator. There is a being who crafted you and he cares about you. And if you're feeling far from God, you need to know that he loves you. Uh, If you're unsure about God, you need to know that he's reaching out to you. There will be times in life when you go through pain, Uh, whether you believe in God or not, whether you're spiritual or not, it is a sad, inevitable reality of life that it includes pain. And so today we're really wrestling with this question about how can you have hope when you go through pain? I ended the message last week telling the true story of my wife giving birth to our oldest, Jack. Uh, He was a big baby and my wife uh, had decided to not have an epidural or any pain medication and it was excruciating pain for her. And if you were here, I I joked a little bit about how, well, first of all, this is not a joke. Women are clearly the stronger species. We just, all of us men agree. If you've ever witnessed childbirth, without doubt, women are stronger. Uh, But secondly, that it was also a little traumatic (laughs) for poor dad here, okay? But I described the moment when my wife's tears of suffering and pain in in a moment switched to tears of joy. And it was the moment when the, the birthing nurse took our son, this crying little squiggly mess of humanity and set him on her chest. And in that moment, all the suffering, all the agony, all the tears of pain turned into tears of joy. There's part of us, if we're honest, that likes to think that we can have greatness in life without pain, without suffering, without sacrifice. Uh, But the just reality of the world we're born into, even separate from God and the Bible, though they also say this, but if you just observe reality, greatness always requires sacrifice from someone. If you're enjoying comfort and luxury and greatness that was given to you, someone else sacrificed for it. 
If you're striving for greatness in your own life, whether uh, maybe physically, athletically, or in your career, or in your relationships, it will require some sacrifice. The, the best things in life are often on the other side of pain, and childbirth is one example of that. Uh, I live in the Midwest now. We used to live here in the Bay Area, but I live in the Midwest. And if you ever go there, you should know, first of all, it's part of the United States, okay? Some, some people in California are like, Indiana, is that? Yeah, it's a state, there's 50 of them, okay? <laughs> California's just one of them, okay? It's a very big one, it's a great one, okay? But you should know if you travel to the Midwest, just a little public service announcement that sports are a really big deal. Really big deal. And uh, I've learned that it's different here. When I was a teaching pastor here, one time it was Super Bowl weekend and I started talking about the Super Bowl and I had some people looking at me like, what is the Super Bowl? Uh, It is a big football game, in case you're one of those. It's not about bowling, okay? It's actually, it's a big football game. Most of the country watches it. And I'm kidding because I know many of you did watch it or you at least know what it is. But at the Super Bowl every year, you see this on display that greatness to to win the Super Bowl requires sacrifice, requires pain, the pain of training and injury and determination and, you know, perseverance. And most great things do. When I was watching the Super Bowl this year, um, I really enjoyed it for two primary reasons. I wasn't really cheering for either team. I didn't have a strong affiliation with either one, but... First of all, I thought it was kind of cool that it was the first Super Bowl where uh, both quarterbacks were African-American. I thought that was kind of cool. The other thing I thought was really cool is that both quarterbacks are outspoken followers of Jesus. Not just like casual Christians, but really outspoken followers of Jesus. And uh, this is actually something I've learned. Not, Not everyone can be as outspoken or is as outspoken as these two quarterbacks, but you will find at the top of most industries, some really faithful followers of Jesus. Because when you apply the principles of God's word, honesty, integrity, hard work, sacrifice, you you tend to get promoted more often than people who don't. And I wanna encourage you, if you're here, especially if you're a younger person, that as you follow God's word and his principles, he has great things for you to do in this world. Now, most of us in here are not football players. But I thought this was really cool. I've just got to show you these two interviews of these two quarterbacks, both playing in the Super Bowl, both overtly Christian, faithful followers of Jesus. Here's Patrick Mahomes. His team from Kansas City ended up winning, but this is his interview before the game. And listen to how he weaves in his Christian faith. Go ahead and take a look. I mean, my Christian faith plays a role in everything that I do. I mean, I always ask God to, to lead me in the right direction and let me be who I am uh, for his name. So it has a role in everything that I do. And obviously it will be on the huge stage in the Super Bowl that he's given me. And I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Now, here's the other, the other quarterback. His name is Jalen Hurts, quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Here he is on one of the biggest stages in the world. He has worked his entire life to get to this moment. And if you watch the game, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles played really well. They ended up losing and it really came down to one call from a referee that was a very contentious, very debated call. Now, again, I wasn't really cheering hard for either team, but even as a sort of objective onlooker, I thought, oh, I don't know about that call. If you can imagine working your whole life for something You get there, you're sacrificing everything physically, emotionally, and then a decision by someone else pulls it out of of your reach. 
Real time, Jalen Hurts is processing that disappointment, that pain, and listen to how he filters it through the lens of his faith in Christ. Go ahead and take a look. My favorite scripture, John 13, 7, you may not know now, but later you understand. Um, just, just reminds me to keep, um, continue to be patient, continue to, to remain diligent, steadfast, keep going, keep your eyes on me and keep God at the center, regardless of what the circumstance is. Isn't that cool? That's pretty cool. He quoted a scripture. Here's the verse, John 13, verse 7. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 13. And in John 13, Jesus' disciples don't understand why their friend says, I'm going to have to die for the sins of the world. And in verse 7, he says this, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. I wonder in your life right now, what pain... What loss, what difficulty, dilemma, what tension in your life do you not understand right now? Uh, maybe for you, it's a family conflict. Maybe it's you're dating and you're trying to establish a family, but you can't find that person to make a life with. Maybe for you, what you don't understand right now is sickness that you or someone in your family is going through cancer or chronic illness or disability. Maybe it's depression. It could be an emotional, uh, emotional thing that you don't understand. You just, you can hardly get out of bed in the morning. By the way, if that's you, way to go for being here, for watching online, you're choosing to seek God today. Uh, maybe it's that you've lost a loved one. Uh, I know for my wife, Mel and me, uh, this varies from month to month, year to year. But here's one of our difficulties recently was the loss of a friend of ours named Brian. Brian was 53 years old when less than a year ago he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we had two really good friends going through cancer at the same time. One of them we prayed for and God did a miracle. That friend lives here and I've gotten to see him this week. Brian uh, lived in Indiana, was part of our church there. And uh, three months after he was diagnosed, he breathed his final breath on earth. Now, I know as a follower of Jesus that Brian is alive in the presence of God. I know that I'll see him again. We'll laugh together. We'll eat together. We'll walk together. I know all those promises. I believe those promises. A and yet there's grief. There's loss. One of the things I don't understand is why uh, sometimes it seems like some of the very best people, Brian was just, uh, he, <laughs> he was part of our church and he would just welcome in, especially men who weren't comfortable with God or church. And, and he'd eventually get them to the place where they could hug each other. I mean, he just had this way about him of loving on people. And I don't understand, you know, all the people to call home to heaven early, why him? I don't understand that. I wonder if you can relate to not understanding something that's going on in your life or some pain in your life uh, that maybe you say, I, I believe God's good. I believe he's for me, but I just don't understand why my child's making these decisions. I don't understand why they passed me over at work. I don't understand why I have to live with this tension or this difficulty. <laughs> can you relate? to wondering how could anything good possibly come out of this?
Here's the question we're gonna wrestle with today. How can you bring good from the worst situations in your life? If I could tell you today, if you could leave here today and you knew if I do this, then even in the worst situations in my life, good will come from it. (laughs) The good news is God does give you such principles in the word of God that he says, even though I don't cause the pain in your life, I can bring good from the pain in your life, but there are some things you and I must choose to do with our will if we want to see God bring good from the difficulty in our life. And as always, we find the answer in the Bible. Now I'll warn you today, we're gonna go through a lot of scripture. So normally I walk you through the scripture and then we say, ah, here's the answer to our question. Today, I'm gonna spoiler alert. I'm gonna give you the answer first, and then we're gonna walk through scripture to see it demonstrated because there's just so much scripture. So how in your life, and right now I just want you to, to identify what's an area of pain, suffering, struggle, difficulty, tension. In that area, how could you see God bring good through that? Here's the answer that we'll see in the word of God. You've gotta choose to keep believing God's promises. So if you haven't yet started, you have to believe and then keep believing God's promises. Now there are thousands of promises that God gives you in scripture. And if you don't yet know a promise for what you're going through, perhaps God will give you one in our message. If not, come down and see a pastor afterwards because there are literal words that God has given sentences about what you're going through. And if you wanna see God bring good from the difficulty, you've gotta recite some of the promises that he has for you. And then you've also gotta choose to keep believing that God has a plan. Now, please don't mishear me on this. I'm not saying you have to do this perfectly. I've never done this perfectly. I never will do this perfectly. But if you'll just do this somewhat consistently, God, I wanna believe your promises. I wanna believe you have a plan. Help me when I don't believe. Just just make an effort at this and ask God to help you. If you will make that your lifestyle, And if you'll choose that, especially when your pain sensors, physical or emotional or relational, your pain sensors are screaming. Your pain is telling you, you can't trust God. Your pain is telling you to run from God or to turn from God or why call out to him if he let this happen in those moments, if you'll choose to believe a promise from him. And if you'll choose to believe he has a plan for you, you will see him bring good out of what you're going through, even what you're going through right now. Now I'm gonna kind of take you through two sections of our message here. This first one is is pretty short. I'm gonna give you four sample promises because here's what I know. For me, this sentence, there was a time when I was in a hospital with a medical condition and I was hurting. And if someone had just come in and said, hey John, all you gotta do, keep believing God's promises. Keep believing he's got a plan. I know your pain sensors are screaming, but just keep believing. I I would have probably punched him in the face if I could have, because it sounds really hollow. So I'm gonna give you some sample promises, just four, to give you an appetizer. There are thousands of promises. We'll give you four samples. Then we're gonna look at the true story of a person who did this. And you're gonna see how real it is and how it applies to your life. So what are some of the promises God has given? Here's four samples. We'll fly over these real fast. If you've lost a loved one, like my friend, Brian Green, who's now with God in heaven, here's a promise 
about being reunited with everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4 says that after Jesus returns, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be together with the Lord forever. So when I grieve the loss of my friend or the loss of another believer, if you're grieving the loss of a grandparent or a spouse or a sibling, this is a promise that you hold on to to say, you know what, I'm gonna see them again. We're gonna eat together again. We're gonna laugh together again. Here's another promise. When you're dealing with shame, when you're dealing with falling short, uh, and, and I hope you know this is a normal part of the Christian experience. We all sin. We all mess up. We all have shame. I do. I still mess up. And when you do, Satan, one of his titles is the accuser. He'll whisper in your ear, you're not good enough for this Jesus stuff. You're not good enough for God. Why try? You keep trying to break that or beat that and you keep failing. You should give up. When that happens, you claim a promise like Philippians 1.6. Be confident, Philippians 1.6 says, that he who began a good work in you, who started the good work in you, God did. He created you from eternity past. He had you in mind when he died on the cross for you and rose again. He will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And so when you're dealing with shame or shortcoming, there's a promise that, you know what? Your salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. All you had to do was surrender and believe. And as long as you stay surrendered, he will finish the work in you that he started. These are sample promises. Here's a third one. When all you have is pain in your life, God will bring good from your pain. This is one, if you haven't yet memorized this verse, it's one of the key verses of the Christian life because this is a, a promise that you can take with you into most difficulty. You can take this one to divorce court, to cancer treatment, to a breakup, to the loss of a loved one, physical pain. This one's pretty universal. And it's a promise that God causes everything to work together for your good follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean God causes everything. We're gonna see a story where evil people cause a lot of pain in a person's life. God didn't do the evil to them, evil people did. But God takes their evil and he turns it for good. And God promises everything you go through, it's kind of like baking a cake. You've got some really bitter ingredients, right? A raw egg, flour. None of us eat those things by the spoonful, not if we're normal. But if the right chef mixes them together, bakes them at the right temperature, it's a pretty sweet outcome. And this is what God can do in your life. He can take the bitter ingredients from Satan, from others, even from your own mistakes, and he promises that he will work them together for good. So these are sample promises. Here's the fourth and last sample promise. When you are going through suffering or sickness, you can look to the future. Revelation 21 verse four tells you this is your future state, not only spiritually, but physically. There will be a time on the timeline of eternity when you cry your last tear of pain or suffering. And sometimes that's all you can do is look forward to that promise. There will be a time you cry your final tear when, when Jesus returns and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and he gathers up all of his followers. He will wipe every tear from your eyes and there will be no more death. There will be no more grieving, no more funerals, no more hospitals, no more cancer treatment, no more crying. 
No more pain sensors. For the old order of things, which by the way is all that we know, we are living in the old order of things. A planet that's broken by sin. The tectonic plates are broken. The weather patterns are broken. Human nature is clearly broken when you look at what humans do to each other. All of that will someday die and pass away. And all who've placed their faith in Jesus, you will never cry again. Now, by the way, if you're here and you don't know for sure that you've done that, even in this moment, you can call out to God, say, I, I repent of my sin, be my savior. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died for me. So this visual here shows you in the middle. Those four promises I just gave you are outlined on the corners and all these other stars are a visual representation of the reality that when you open your Bible, which I like to call God's love letter to you, there are hundreds, in fact, thousands of promises. And uh, an important part of being in a church family is that when you're going through suffering and you, it, hopefully you're saying, okay, what's a promise for what I'm going through? And if you can't find one, ask other people. Ask people who sit around you, ask pastors at the front, uh, be open about it. Say, I need a promise for what I'm going through. God will use another believer who knows the word of God or Bible study tools as well to help you find a promise for what you're going through. So now we're gonna transition into the true story of a spiritual hero who models what we're talking about. What are we talking about? Let's review that when you go through pain, if you wanna see God bring good from it, you need to do two things. You need to choose to keep believing God's promises, not perfectly, but consistently. And you need to choose to keep believing God has a plan. Even when your pain sensors are screaming that you shouldn't. I love it that God wrote down such specific promises because those are sentences that we can memorize and we can hold on to. God doesn't write out his whole plan for your life. This is the adventure of life. You get to find it out as you go. Some days it's exhilarating and others it's exhausting. The, the plan, we know the end of the story, but we don't know what difficulties we'll have to go through on our path to greatness through Christ. So what does this look like in a real life? Well, we're gonna see this modeled in the true story of a guy who you'll find in the first book of your Bible, the book of Genesis, his name is Joseph. And uh, Joseph lived at a time, uh, you're gonna, this is a big leap, okay? He's in the first book of the Bible chronologically, therefore the Bible didn't yet exist. Make sense? All right, okay. So God speaks to Joseph and he speaks to him in a dream because Joseph, Joseph doesn't have a Bible. He can't look up promises like you and I can. So God gives Joseph a dream and Joseph chooses, I'm gonna believe this promise of God. And I'm about to summarize 20 chapters. So I will do this as fast as I can, okay? Joseph believes God's promise. He tells it to his brothers. He had 11 of them. And they're like, Who why would you think that God could do that through you? <laughs> have you ever heard a voice like that in your head? Why would you think God would have something so big for your life? And his brothers, they get jealous, they get bitter, they despise him. And the day comes, Genesis 37, verse 18, where Joseph goes out to meet his brothers. Uh, their family has a bunch of livestock, big fields, acres and acres of land. Joseph is walking out to meet him and they see him from a distance. Have you ever been walking up to a group of people and you can tell they're talking about you as you approach? 
They're gossiping about you. Well, Joseph's brothers are literally planning, here's how we're gonna kill him. Like this bitterness has grown so deep that they're like, we're just, we're gonna kill him. And they're literally plotting his death. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer. Now remember, God spoke to Joseph in a dream because he didn't yet have the written word of God. So in our context, this would be like someone saying of you, here comes that believer. Uh, If you wanna see God bring good from the difficulty in your life, be a radical believer in his promises to such a point that some people would say, oh, here's that believer again. Like she just believes in these promises of God so much, it's annoying. Like they're on the walls in her house. They're like, she listens to music about it. Just, it's annoying how much she believes these promises of God. That's what's going on here. Verse 20, come now, let's kill him. We'll throw him into one of these deep hand dug wells, a cistern, and then we'll see what comes of all his dreams. Have you ever had someone come into your life and it seems like they're just there to kill your dreams? maybe a boss, maybe a coworker, maybe a really difficult relative. And it's like, it just feels like this person exists to kill my dreams. Well, Joseph had 10 brothers like that. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they strip him of the fine robe that his dad had given to him. Verse 24, they take him, they throw him into this cistern. So imagine the desert, a hand dug deep pit. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. So. Joseph is struggling at the bottom. He's in the dirt of a literal physical pit. When one of his brothers sees dust rising on the horizon and the dust signaled a roving band of slave traders on their way to Egypt there in North Africa. And one of the brothers says, hey, why leave him to die? I was kind of on the fence about that. I might feel guilty. Let's just sell him as a slave. Sounds horrifically evil. It was horrifically evil. And these brothers decide, hey, yeah, we could make money and feel less guilty. So sell him, they did. And Joseph's life, can you imagine you see a rope drop down? Oh, maybe my brothers changed their mind. You get hoisted to the top. Here's these slave traders. They probably have a train of slaves. We'll see from an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphic in a little bit, these slaves would be different nationalities, different skin colors, all people who've been sold by their relatives or through warfare. And Joseph sees them and he hears the price negotiated and shackles are put on his wrists. And he's at the end of this foot marching line of slaves. And he'll spend the next 30 days at least walking by foot toward his slavery. And in that moment, he goes from living a comfortable life in a large family with a lot of livestock and being dad's favorite to having no one, having nothing, not even knowing the language that the slave drivers are yelling as they're whipping him on this march toward Egypt. I wonder in what ways you could relate to Joseph this far in the story. Has life confused you with an unthinkable twist of events? Has someone betrayed you in a way that you just feel like you could never forgive, you could never get over it? Have you been used or profited from? 
Are you physically aching as Joseph would be as those shackles start to dig into his skin and he bleeds until the blood becomes calloused and his feet, it's not like he had great shoes on as he's walking 30 miles through the desert toward his slavery. Well, eventually this band of slave traders reaches the metropolis of Egypt and this is some of what Joseph would have seen. Some of it remains to this day as he's marched into the city with blisters and blood, stumbling along, entering into the metropolis and there are all these markets. There are spices for sale and produce for sale and livestock for sale and there are people for sale. And Joseph is shoved forward onto an auction block and in the noise of a thousand strangers, someone purchases him and they own him. They have a deed to him. That guy's name is Potiphar. Here's a picture from ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs of what slavery looked like in Egypt. This is the Egyptian who's taller. And as you can see three different skin tones here. Uh, this was the norm in the ancient world, not only in Africa, but all around the world, that most of the large empires would enslave whoever they could. And this is how they built their infrastructure. So they didn't have caterpillar machinery or you know, modern stuff. And obviously they didn't have Jesus because they were a slave culture. Egyptian social pyramid looks like this. You've got Pharaoh at the top. You've surely heard of him. He was treated as a God. He was worshiped. He was a king. He had totally unchecked, unbridled rule. You've got his government officials and all the way down the social hierarchy and at the very bottom, really supporting it all physically are these slaves from all around the ancient world. And Joseph is not only one of the slaves, but he's a slave from a pretty despised uh, nation and tribe, pretty small people group. He's a minority among the minorities of slaves. And yet he continues to trust God's promise for his life. All the evidence would say, God's not for you. Why trust God's promise? But Joseph has faith and he does. He walks with God. And slowly, because of the principles of God, honesty, integrity, hard work, doing what's right when no one else is watching, Joseph works his way up in the household of Potiphar. He's still a slave, but he goes from one of the outdoor laborers working under the Egyptian sun to earning so much trust from his boss, Potiphar, that Potiphar brings him into his house. So now he works in the shade. Now he eats the same food as Potiphar, who's in the upper class, and life is pretty good. And just when life stabilizes, just when life stabilizes, have you ever had this happen? Life knocks you down, you work as hard as you can to get back up, and then another crisis happens, about to happen to Joseph, because Potiphar had what we would today call a desperate housewife, you watch any of those TV shows? I've never actually watched a whole episode, but I always see the ads for them, like Desperate Housewives of Orange County or Atlanta or wherever. Potiphar had a desperate housewife. One day she tries to seduce Joseph. And that's a whole story in and of itself, but ultimately Joseph resists her seduction. It hurts her feelings. So she runs to her husband and claims that Joseph tried to rape her. Genesis 39, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. 
Now here's an interesting detail here and I want you to know if you find yourself in a prison emotionally, career-wise, relationally, if you're a person of faith and you're believing God, there's a detail in your prison. I can't tell you what the detail is, but there's a detail there that you'll look back and you'll say, that's why I went to this prison. And here's the detail in Joseph's prison. It's where the king's prisoners were confined. Might not seem like a big deal, but it's gonna be a really big deal. Now I've got a little theory, I'll make this quick. I think that Potiphar believed that Joseph was innocent. And the reason is this, Potiphar could have thrown Joseph into any prison. The king's prison was the nicest prison. It was like the federal penitentiary versus the county jail. It was much nicer. And in fact, the king's prison had kind of a revolving door because the king, if you can imagine this, imagine if you were the king and, and your whole life you got to do whatever you wanted. And one day your friend makes a joke about you and they just go too far and you don't like it. Well, the king would be like, ah, he's off to prison. And then three weeks later, the, the king would be like, where's my buddy? I haven't seen him there. And his friends are all like, you sent him to prison. Oh yeah, bring him out. So this, this is happening because the king has just totally unchecked power. So what's gonna happen in the king's prison? Well, Joseph could focus on the fact that injustice just keeps happening to me. I'm a victim wherever I go. Doesn't matter what I do. I always, you know, get the raw end of the deal. But Joseph focuses on the fact that God has a promise. God has a plan. And in the king's prison, Joseph starts to meet Pharaoh's buddies. He starts to meet all of Pharaoh's friends. And I love verse 21. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. I wanna ask this question, where is God in your suffering? Where is God in cancer treatment? Where is God at a funeral? Where is God three months after the funeral when people stop sending the nice cards and notes and phone calls and there's just an empty chair, an empty half of the bed? Where is God in suffering? Where is God in your prison? The moment you call out to Jesus and believe in him, he's with you. He is with you in infertility. He's with you in miscarriage. He's with you in loss. He's with you in pain. He's with you in the prison. And somehow, I mean, my prayer when I study this is just like, God, give me the faith of Joseph. I wanna choose to believe when I'm in prison that you're there with me. I wanna choose to believe that you'll never abandon me or forsake me. How do we know that Joseph kept believing in God like this? Remember our big idea, keep believing his promises and keep believing he has a plan. How do we know that Joseph did that? Well, uh, we see it in Genesis 41, verse 16. This is the breakout moment of Joseph's story. Now, if you've watched the old boxing movie, Rocky, you know that any good story, the hero is gonna suffer, they're gonna go down, and then eventually they're gonna have a breakout moment. Now, in a sense, all the good stories follow God's story. All of humanity went down after Adam and Eve's choice. And then at the cross, Jesus rose from the dead and it was a breakout moment. And, and the story's still on its way up to Jesus' return. Well, there's a breakout moment for you in your story. And when you're in the pit or you're in the prison or you're a slave in Potiphar's house, Believing God's promises and believing his plan includes believing God still has a breakout moment for me. 
get old enough and you'll start to realize like, oh, when I actually leave this body, that's gonna be a great breakout moment. I'll break out to heaven. But even before then, there's gonna be little breakout moments along your life journey. Joseph has this breakout moment in Genesis 41 because what happens is two of Pharaoh's friends who are in and out of the prison, uh, they get called back out to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has this dream and he can't interpret it. And it takes two years for one of Joseph's buddies to tell Pharaoh, oh, there's a guy in your prison named Joseph and he's like the pro at interpreting dreams. You should ask him to interpret it. This is the breakout moment. Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Joseph is uh, taken from the king's prison. He stands before this unchecked world ruler. And Pharaoh says, here's my dream, interpret it. Now, if Joseph hadn't been walking with God, he wouldn't even be here. But he's been walking with God. In verse 16, I love what he says to Pharaoh. He says, I cannot do it. You realize that the breakout that will happen in your life eventually is something that you can't do. The breakout you long for in your marriage, in your career, Sure, you've got to play your part. Joseph played his part. He was honest, trustworthy. He kept believing in God. But Joseph's mentality was this. There are things that only God can do. And I live every day as a dependent on my heavenly father. And I just love that in a culture where if you upset the Pharaoh, he could just have you beheaded on the spot. Pharaoh says, hey, here's my dream, interpret it. And Joseph says, I, I'm incapable but I know a guy, I know someone who is capable. I'm unable, but I have a God who is able. And in this moment of breakout, we see Joseph's consistent faith in the promises and in the power of God. Now here's what's interesting. If you know much about Egyptian culture, really any ancient culture, these kings had all these ceremonies and rituals. So to stand before them, you had to stand a certain way. You had to know the language. You often had to have certain bathing and perfumes and all sorts of weird things. If you rewind in Joseph's story to when God first gave him as a young teenager, here's a promise I have for your life, Joseph. Nations will eat who would have starved because of you and all your brothers will bow down before you. If Joseph had gone straight from the promise to the next day he's standing before Pharaoh, he wouldn't have known the language. He wouldn't have even known how to stand. All of the difficulty was preparation for this moment. And I know that doesn't make your difficulty less painful, but you need to know today that whatever God allows you to go through He's preparing you for what you're going to and he has great things he wants to do through you. So keep believing his promises, keep believing his plan. Joseph keeps walking with God. God gives him the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh's dream interpreted is essentially this, there's a great famine coming. We need to stockpile like the ultimate prepper ever would and just stockpile for like years and years for our entire nation. And then it comes true. And all of the surrounding nations are out of food and they're all coming in um, kind of malnourished and dusty and begging Egypt for food. 
And because of Joseph's leadership, Egypt has more than enough food. And so Pharaoh's like, Joseph, well done. I'm gonna make you completely in charge of Egypt. Like the only person who could do something different than what you want is me. Uh, you're my right-hand person. You're in charge of the entire kingdom. And so Joseph is. And Pharaoh says, here's what I want you to do. Uh, keep enough food for our people. You know how long the famine's gonna be because of your God and this interpretation of the dream. But the excess food, sell it at a massive profit. So when people come in from other nations, I mean, trade them gold and silver and Joseph, I mean, uh, this is our chance to make a ton. <laughs> and Joseph follows his, his boss's um, by the way, there's a little bit of a word in here for you. If you've got a boss who's totally ungodly, obviously don't do anything immoral because your real boss is God in heaven. Scripture says, work as unto the Lord. But as long as they're not asking you to do something ungodly, make your boss successful. And uh, that's what Joseph does. And eventually, these 10 guys come in very dusty, very hungry, begging for food. And Joseph, who's running this large operation, they happen to pass by him and he recognizes the language of his childhood years. He recognizes the language of his family of origin. And he looks at these 10 guys and they're a little older and they're a lot more wrinkled and they look pretty hungry, but these are the very brothers who sold him as a slave. And they're now in his kingdom. What would you do? I, I, I have had a lot of thoughts about what I would do. If you've had people hurt you in life, you probably have some thoughts of what you'd do. Joseph, uh, he brings them near and there, there's a lot in the story. I'd encourage you to read it in Genesis. But ultimately, when he gets alone with them, he's gonna take off some of his Egyptian headdress and other things, have them come closer. They're gonna see his eyes and he's gonna say, it's me, your brother. And within that, he's gonna say this, Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me. And by the way, that sentence will be true in your life. There will be some people who intend to harm you. And in the unseen realm, even if you don't yet believe it, there are supernatural beings, sometimes they're called demons, they're fallen angels from heaven, and they intend to harm you. Satan exists in this world. He primarily, he doesn't show up with a pitchfork. He shows up with ideas and his ideas exist for three reasons. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. And apart from the saving work of Jesus in your life, Satan will plant ideas in your mind that lead to death and destruction. Ideas about your sexuality, ideas about where fulfillment's found, ideas about if you should be faithful in your marriage, ideas about all sorts of things, hateful ideas, murderous ideas, jealous ideas. And there is in the unseen realm a host of beings that want to harm you. And apart from the protection of God, they would outsmart us all. But in your life, whether it's satanic demonic harm against you or just people who are downright evil, the people who mean to harm you, God is able to take those bitter ingredients. He takes the raw eggs, he takes the flour, and if you surrender the ingredients of your life to God and you say, God, I don't wanna go through this, I ask that you deliver me from it, but until you deliver me from this pain, I'm gonna cling to your promises, I'm gonna believe you have a plan, I'm gonna trust you're mixing all of this for good and that in the end, it'll, it'll be sweet. 
Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God's bigger than you. God's bigger than anyone who wants to harm you. He's bigger than any force that comes against you. And God will bring even the evil that's thrown at you and he'll turn it for good. And then Joseph says this, this good isn't about my own comfort. The greatness that God has for you in life isn't just you uh, laying on a beach for years and years and years, you know, sipping a margarita. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. That's great, go for it, okay? But the good that God has for you involves helping other people, setting other people free, feeding other people. You realize there are thousands of kids in Joseph's life who would have starved to death, who are running around playing games, laughing and giggling with food in their bellies, because Joseph continued to believe God's promises even as he went through unthinkable suffering. So let's repeat our big idea. Keep believing God's promises for you. Keep believing his plans for you are good. Book of Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you. Your end state, any difficulty you go through is not the, it's not a cul-de-sac, it's not a dead end. Difficulty is never your destination as a believer in Jesus. It's always something you're passing through. Keep believing that. We saw from Joseph's life what it looks like I'm not gonna unpack these, but I'm just gonna give you three really simple steps you can take to be like Joseph. These are real fast. Here's the first one. Turn to God in your pain rather than turning away from God because of your pain. You might feel that in your suffering, in your pain, you have hundreds of choices or thousands of choices And maybe if you look at all the dimensions of life, that's true. But in the spiritual dimension, I believe, and I've experienced, in the spiritual dimension, pain is a very spiritual thing because in the spiritual dimension, you only have two choices. You really do. And in your pain right now, you're making one of these two choices. You're either gonna turn to God with your pain. God, this hurts so bad. I need you. Nothing else can help. Get me through this. Carry me through this. Help me believe you're gonna bring good from this. You're either gonna do that, turn to him with the pain, fix these broken things, fix my broken body, these broken relationships. And then it's binary. There's one other choice. If you don't turn to him with the pain, you end up turning away from him because of the pain. Maybe it's overt and you say, if I'm gonna go through this, I'm gonna refuse to believe there's a God. Sometimes it's that overt. Other times it's just more of a drift. You just stop talking to God. You stop seeking God. You stop going to church because of your pain. But it's, it's really very simple in our pain. We pick one of those two. And Joseph is a great model because whatever pain you're going through, Jesus weeps with you. God has empathy and compassion for you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He upholds those who are crushed in spirit. But Joseph's story is living proof. This is a true story. Slavery, physical abuse, family rejection, physical pain, uh, all sorts of injustice. Everything we could go through in some way Joseph did, but he kept turning to God. So I just can't encourage you enough. It's the most important choice you'll make in your pain and in your suffering. Step two is this, believe that God will work unthinkable good from your unthinkable pain. That word unthinkable is actually really kind of strategically planted there. 
Because here's what I mean. There's some pain you go through and you think, well, if I really use my imagination, I could see how God might bring good from this. Like, okay, maybe I'll go through this sickness and then God will heal me and I'll like write a book about it or something and then it'll help other people. And so I can sort of see, I can sort of envision how good might come from this. Other times you'll go through a difficulty and you'll say, I can't imagine any way that God could bring any good from any of this. And those are the times when it's most important to keep believing that God does unthinkable good. Because when Joseph was in the pit, when he was in the prison, when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, he had no idea there was gonna be a like regional famine and thousands of people would be starving to death and because of him, they would have food. He didn't know any of that. All he knew is God has a promise for me and God has a plan. And with grit, with spiritual grit, I'm gonna keep believing. Genesis 45 verse two is where our sermon title today came from, weeping with a smile. It's the moment when Joseph is talking with his brothers, he reveals himself to them. Hey guys, you're here begging for food. I'm the guy in charge. Let me remove my little Egyptian headdress. It's me, the guy you sold into slavery. And in this moment, just a wave of emotion, he sees how his brothers have aged. He remembers the pain. He feels the injustice and he weeps. And yet, as you continue to read the story, verse four, he says, come close. I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. I mean, tears are running down his face, heaving sobs. And then verse five, this is how big of a view of God Joseph had. Guys, don't be distressed. Don't even be angry with yourselves. By the way, he doesn't say it's okay. When someone wrongs you, you should never say it's okay. You can say, I forgive you. It's a lot different than saying it's okay. He never says it's okay what they did. But what he does say is essentially what you did was wrong, but God is so big, God is so good that God used the evil you threw at me and he turned it for good and literally it is saving lives now. Step three is this, last one, hand over the core issue of your suffering to God. So for Joseph, I imagine the core issue of his suffering, as much as there was physical pain, societal injustice, probably his core issue would have been, if I was in his position, bitterness, unforgiveness toward those brothers. You probably have some of that in your life because we live in a broken world. But Joseph clearly handed the core issue over to God Stop insisting on managing it, owning it. Stop insisting on getting those people back or getting your justice. God will do that. And handing over the core issue looks kind of like saying, God, only you could work good from this. I cannot do it. I couldn't bring good from this, but you can, so here you go. And this is my last sports analogy for the day, okay? This is a baseball bat, so be quick. There's a spot on the baseball bat called the sweet spot. And it's actually, uh, it's a thing in physics, as you can see. And the reality is that if the batter, if the baseball hits the sweet spot of the bat, it is like a guaranteed home run. Anywhere else on the bat, the ball's gonna go somewhere else. So in Major League Baseball, where they throw the ball at like 95 miles an hour, that's fast enough that if it hits you in the head, it will kill you. These guys don't just need to hit the ball with the bat, 
they need to hit the sweet spot. And the most talented people who train their lives in the world, they fail more than half the time at this. Now here's the point for you. The sufferings in your life are like baseballs being thrown at you, 95 mile an hour fastballs. The bat of your life is your free will and it is the core issues of your suffering. And what most of us do is we cling really tight to that thing and we try to control it. And by the way, sometimes you can hit a home run in your own strength. For example, if you grew up uh, in poverty and it motivates you to work hard, that's kind of a slow pitch in a sense. And you can work real hard and you can hit a home run and now you're really successful because you came from nothing. So there are, there are some trials in life that you can hit, but there will be some pitches in life that come at you so fast that it's unthinkable that you could turn good from them. And by handing over the core issue, what I mean is in those situations, you say to God, God, I can't bring good from this. Here's the bat, here's my life. Only you could bring good from this. And in the right hands, a deadly fastball becomes a home run. That's what happens in Genesis 50, verse 18. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Poetic justice, right? A literary circle. He was sold as a slave. And now the very guys who sold him said, we're your slaves. Please just let us be slaves instead of killing us because we know you could. And Joseph says, verse 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Guys, I gave that to God a long time ago. And if I hadn't, I wouldn't be standing here in this position. God will take care of you. And then verse 20, you planned evil against me. What you did was wrong, but God, he's way bigger. He's a master chef. He can hit any pitch and turn it into a home run. And he used the evil that you threw at me. He turned it for good. As you see with all these people around me who are fed and how I'm now gonna give food to your family and our kids will grow up eating and playing together because God brings good out of evil. And by the way, that whole story is a little micro story of what God's gonna do in all of history. Satan is the villain who sold humanity into slavery. Satan is the one who planned evil. Satan came to kill God's dream of being in perfect relationship with you. And through Jesus, when he died on the cross for your sins and mine and rose from the dead, he turned all of that evil for good. And so for all who believe, the moment will come when these kind of words will be spoken. The serpent of Eden, Satan, the enemy of our souls who brought death into our families and pain into our bodies, all that he meant for evil, God will turn to good through the cross of Christ. If you're a believer, can we just give a little celebration to God for that? Let me pray for you today. Father, in this place, I pray for the person who's just hurting today and the hurt is so overwhelming. They hear you whispering through the veil of pain, but they can hardly believe that you're there. God, today, would you just reach out to them? Would you hold them by the hand? Would you put an arm around them? Would you let them know that as they gather here every weekend, you're here 
You're in the midst. You're, they're in a room of people who love them and care about them. They're not alone. There is hope. There is healing. There is life found in the bread of life, the great I am, Jesus, the living word. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you, Jesus, that when Satan threw evil at my family and at my body and at my nature, that you were capable to hit a home run. You are, you are capable to take what is meant for evil in all of our lives and turn it for good. So God, we, we give you the bat. We're not very good at this if we're honest, but you are. We give you full control of the core issues, the deepest hurts in our lives. We give them to you. And we would ask today that you'd give us the faith of Joseph. We would ask today that you'd enable us to believe your promises when our pain sensors scream otherwise and to trust that you have a plan even while we're in the prison, even while we're in the pit, even when we're enslaved to Potiphar. Jesus, we thank you that in you, we know how the story ends. You who began a good work will be faithful. Complete your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.